Welcome to From the Bronx with Love, a podcast where we explore pop culture, food, music, and as a bonus, random rants all done with a multicultural lens. We're your hosts, Karen and Dom. Hi. Hola, Dom. Hola, ¿qué tal? Muy bien, ¿y tú? Bien. <laughs> how, am I get, how am I doing? You're doing good. Oh, yay, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So tell me, what have you been up to? Mm, okay, so I have been trying to fight the winter blues. Um, I win sometimes. I lose a lot of times mm-hmm. by just sleeping in because I'm a big old teddy bear, so I hibernate. <laughs> um, but today, at the time of this recording, we're recording on Monday, March 5th. So today, at the time of this recording, I was able to get off my tushy after three naps. Um, and wow. Yeah. <laughs> so after a whole day of unproductivity, I became productive by sheer will of I'm no longer tired because I slept everything out. Um, I bought myself a planner. And yes, I understand. I bought a 2018 planner in March. So I have two months that have not been filled ever. <laughs> Those are my two trial months. Now it's real. (laughs) Um, So I bought a planner. I bought a notebook for journaling and a notebook for writing down like all my projects and outlining and really like really going to task with that because I am a person who like a lot of the things that I create and I write, I put on my Google Drive, but I need to like have I need to handwrite. Like I'll always be analog. Like yeah. even in a digital age, I need to write. So I'm like really, really excited about those things. And I made a challenge for myself to fill out those notebooks because I really have a bad habit of buying really cute notebooks with really nice covers because I'm like a stationary hoe. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I never finish them. I'll like write really prettily in script. In like the first three state, like first three pages, but I will journal as much as I can. I will. Okay, that was a good sign. <laughs> yes. Oh wow. Um, I will journal as much as possibly I possibly can, and I will explore the creative ideas, no matter how silly they may sound. I will put them on paper and then go from there because I am very much a person that, like, if it doesn't sound perfect on paper, I'm not going to write it or I'm done writing. Um, so I'm really excited about these things. And this is what happens when you have coffee and three naps. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah. How I want to see what happens when you have like four naps. <laughs> I'd probably start a company. <laughs> <laughs> now that you bring up journaling and also the winter blues, just FYI, that daylight saving times begins on March 11th. I could not be happier. So I'm, I'm kind of counting that down because I actually Googled this information, I think in January. <laughs> so yeah because I can these days I just can't I don't feel productive all I want to do is sleep I'm sluggish it's not the best version of me no it really isn't and then going back to your other note about journaling <laughs> 
So last year, I also, okay, no, wait, no, I didn't buy a planner, but I had this notebook, which had a really cute cover. So I was like, you know what, instead of spending more money on a planner, I'm just going to like quickly fill in the dates and kind of like, you know, make it out to be a planner. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I went in, filled in every single month. I got my ruler out, my highlighters. I was like, I am determined to do this. I'm going to write down everything. Well, guess who forgot to look at her planner and forgot that she had to pay her light bill? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and that was not once that happened. It happened several times with different things so actually after probably like three months I just forgot about that planner that I DIY'd and then I just started Mm -hmm. writing down everything on my phone which I think I'm actually better now yeah you see I kind of want to be like you because I feel like I'm like oh yeah I'm gonna be analog in a digital world blah 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 but I (laughs) live on my phone (laughs) um as anyone who follows the the podcast Twitter will know <laughs> that mm-hmm. I live on my phone. But it's hard for me to keep track of what's going on on my phone. And I think maybe it's just because I just don't prioritize like my calendar and I prioritize Twitter. Oops. <laughs> but I do want to kind of get like you where you like are finally getting into a flow of having everything on your phone and you're able to like manage that. Yeah, I've gotten pretty good, but it takes a few months to get in the groove of things. I'll just wait for 2019 then. (laughs) So, Dom. Yes. Obviously, this is part of our main segment. Yes. I want you to tell me everything. Tell me your thoughts, feelings, concerns, questions on Valeria Lucelli's book. Yes. So as a background um, to our listeners, I, again, on Twitter, (laughs) saw that there was an event with one of Karen's favorite journalist she's also has a podcast called in the thick in latino Ah. usa Mm -hmm. i don't know if you want to talk a little bit about her karen well i actually discovered maria hinojosa because i discovered podcast i'm not sure Mm -hmm. if you know that dom i did not know that yes and then i started listening to latino usa and i just fell in love with her And then I did more research on her and found out that, you know, she is Mexican. And I fell even more in love with her. Yes. So she is a Mexican-American journalist. And she is obviously the anchor and and executive Executive. producer. What the hell? I can't talk. Of Latino (laughs) USA. (laughs) And let's see, what else can I say about her? She also, she's, she's the founder of Futuro Media Group. And their mission is to produce multi-platform community-based journalism. I'm not sure That's if you awesome. knew that. I actually did not know that. And now I'm Googling and bookmarking that. <laughs> yeah. 
I actually found out about that because she mentioned it, I think, in like one of the episodes. So then, of course, oh, I had to go awesome. and Google that. So, yeah. And she's originally from Austin, Texas. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah I saw her name pop up on my Twitter feed. And I was like, hmm. And I saw that there was going to be an event at the 92nd Y, and she was going to be interviewing the person we're going to be talking about um, more in depth, Valeria Luiselli. Um, And I bought tickets for Karen and I, because I'm the best friend in the world. I deserve an award, but that's another episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I happened upon this. And bought the tickets really quickly because I saw that it was like posted in five minutes. I'm like, I am not letting these tickets out of my hand. I'm going to buy them. And we, I didn't really go in there with many expectations because I kind of don't like doing that. Like I don't like going to a Broadway play, for example, especially musical, having already listened to the soundtrack. I want to listen and experience there. So oh. I knew that, you know, she was going to be interviewing Valeria, but I was like, I don't want to like, you know, read or read up on this. I really just wanted to be there and experience. And boy, was I very happy that I did. It just a range of emotions, incredible mm-hmm. experience. Um, it's still very long lasting and it, it resonates with me. And there's a permanence about that event and there's a permanence about what we're about to discuss, um, which is Valeria Luiselli. She wrote a book about her time as a uh, translator for unaccompanied, undocumented minors who are crossing the border into the United States from uh, Central American countries. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Very You said it perfectly. Powerful stuff. Um, and it, I believe the book is called Tell Me How It Ends in 40 yes. Questions. And... I think in honor of Women's History Month, um, I think it's very apt that we discuss her um, journey and what she went through in this book and like kind of how we are dissecting it and digesting everything. But just in general, I wanted to get your thoughts on particular things that stood out in the book. Yeah. Okay. Hmm, I have a lot. So I will say <laughs> the book overall for our listeners we we recommend a lot of things to you and a lot of things we recommend none of it is sponsored yeah no (laughs) of course (laughs) we are still bootstrapping this podcast (laughs) for free but you know all jokes aside um everything we do recommend we feel so strongly and passionate about and it is always to better our community it's always you know supporting black and brown local businesses um And I always will feel strongly about that, but I feel doubly strongly about you going out and buying this book. I think that everyone who's listening to this episode, who knows us, who knows where we stand in the fight for immigration rights, needs to buy this book. Um, Not just because of us, we are endorsing the book, but I think that if you really want to be educated, really want to know what's going on and need like 
need a place to start because it is overwhelming and it's something that's been plaguing the United States long before Donald Trump became president, long before President Obama became president, long before, you know, you know. We know who. Exactly. The whole crisis has been happening. Um, This has been something that's always loomed over, you know, the United States. And I think it's, it's um, overwhelming. Um, And one good way to ground yourself and learn and also be nourished in your learning is this book. So I feel very, very strongly about endorsing this book. Um, You should buy it. You should read it. If you can't, you should get a free library card. If you're in New York City, get the NYC card, go to the library. If they don't have it, make them order it for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, There are ways. Yeah, it's definitely a good read. I think it took me about three days, if I'm not mistaken, to finish reading it. I usually read it on my commute. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of times where I had to put it down because I could feel the tears coming. Yeah. So I'm telling you, I I have said this to you, Dom. If something makes me cry, it's because it was very well done. Because it's such a strong emotion. Like, there's no way to fake it. Right. So whether it's a TV show, if it's a song, if it's a book, if it makes me cry, that is because it's amazing. And I will recommend it to everyone. Yes. Yes. I do think that everyone should read this book because they, uh, Valeria does a great job into as to giving insight about the questionnaire that mm-hmm. these kids have to go through. But then she also provides, you know, background information about these questions or just in general, how she was feeling whenever she had to go through all of this. Yes. Yeah. So what I really love overall about the book um, one, it's like you said, like you mentioned, a very quick read. It's a small book. It's like 100 or so pages. I want to say like 108 pages. Um, reread Facebook statuses longer than that. <laughs> so, it's 119 pages to be exact. But okay. the rest is, uh, what do they call it? The acknowledgments. And there's a forward and as well. And the sources. Yes, there's a forward. All right, so it's 119 pages. It's a fairly easy read, very quick. Um, I, as a writer, think it's so magnificently and beautifully written. What I do really love overall about the book is that she interjects parts of the story about the unaccompanied minors with her own immigration journey. And Uh like not just hers and her husband's, but how it affects her children and his stepson and her stepson or her husband's son. Um, so I love that it it's like, it's not really what people would expect about like, you know, it's an immigration story and it like, it's there to teach you a lesson. It's like, here, feel bad for these children oh. leaving strife. It's not... Wow. It doesn't hit you over the head like that. It's not that didactic. It's, you know, this is this is what's happening. This is what's happening in my life while this is happening. Like, these, like 
yeah. we are people. Like we are people. We're not news headlines. Right. I think it really makes you reflect on just like how we are overall as a society. Yes. Yeah. So this is not like, okay, let's kind of like a sorrow story, but this is like, okay, like she she gives so much background information that it also makes you think like how did we get to this point amen right to the mm-hmm. fact where like children children okay are forced to leave their country and travel alone to pass through mexico to get, once they get to the border a lot of them go to different states so it makes you reflect and think like what are we doing wrong that children are leaving their own country. Exactly. And it's not like, what are we doing wrong as like individual citizens? Like you said, this is societal. Yes. What did we allow in this society that, like you said, like children, and even in the book, Valeria is talking about like, these children aren't even like leaving their countries for like that American dream of a better life. They're just leaving because they want to sleep better at night. Yeah, because they want to survive. They don't want to go out there thinking like, am I going to make it back home alive? Is someone going to threaten me because I don't want to join a gang? Is someone going to do something to my sister or any of my loved ones? No. Just because they want to live. Precisely. That, to me, was one of the things that made me kind of sit back and be like, even though I'm incredibly empathetic and I'm a daughter of immigrants, um, my parents were lucky enough to, like, always had have been documented and now they're citizen, citizens. So, like, I've never really experienced even like a tenth of what Valeria and her daughter are experiencing or, you know, what the children who are unaccompanied, who are coming to like the United States to be reunited Mm -hmm. with their family who are also undocumented. I don't like that is not, there's a spectrum of, you know, immigration and I don't fall within that, that part of the spectrum. So all I can really do is empathize, um, all I can really do is I'm like getting really emotional. All I can really do is empathize, but like you can do that in theory. Be like, yeah, I know like there's differences in the immigration process, but like having read that, I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like I myself did not know it was this terrible. It was this bad, you know, right. Them here in the United States is, absolutely garbage basura um but the fact that (laughs) this country played a very large role in destabilizing these countries that Mm -hmm. the children are coming from just like oh my god yeah and then it's like how how are you like trying to stop this like what do you expect these children, these kids to stay there and die? Right. Like, no, right. It, it, they're looking for a way to survive. And they, and even in the book, Valeria says that the kids know that the hardest part is not only crossing on La Bestia, which is the train that they have to get on in order yes. to cross from South America 
from Central America, sorry, to um, Mexico. And then from Mexico, they have to cross the desert in order to get to the U.S. But they mention how kids are, they already know that they're going to be put in this icebox. And so they they risk so much just because they they want to stay alive, even though they know like how they're gonna be treated once they get here. But even that fear does not compare to the fear that they have staying in their country. Exactly. That is what just like had to like that set me back on my heels, just like wow, they, they would much rather be like, they have to trek a desert. They have to go through that train. Like you said, the train that like, you know, you'll die or you'll be maimed or you'll survive, but the Mm -hmm. chances of you surviving are very slim. And then, so you survive the train, but then you have to cross like desert areas and sometimes with no food or water. Um, and there's like actual natural forces working against you. And then there are predators out there who will try to basically like human traffic you. Yeah. And actually, so you have to watch out for that. Mm-hmm. I want to interrupt you here on when you mentioned this because, and this is not the first time that I've heard about this. My mom has had coworkers in the past that have mentioned this as well, where women that are crossing uh, already know in advance that they have to take birth control pills because they know that the risk of them getting raped along the way is high. Yeah. So as you say that, and I don't want to get off on too too much of a tangent. But um, there was this very famous case of a young, she's, she was unaccompanied. She was a minor. She was 17 years old. Um, uh, the ACLU, ACLU had to intervene because where she was staying, um, she was staying at like a place that housed um, minors because they didn't put them in the, you know, other place where IC does put undocumented people uh-huh. um and she was pregnant and she really wanted to abort and because of the person who like was running the facility is a hardline conservative and was like no you cannot um she like almost had to give birth to <gasps> a child that was conceived by rape. By rape. Oh, <laughs> While I think, she was crossing the border. Mm, I think I know which story you're talking about. Now that you mentioned that, it does sound familiar. Yeah, I well, her name. I don't believe she's named because they want to protect her. Um, but yeah, I when I find it, I will link it into a will. The, the notes. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that when you were saying that. I heard that story and I think I was listening to a podcast where they did say that they have to, like you said, take contraceptives Mm -hmm. because the risk is so high. Yes. What are your overall thoughts? And then we can kind of dig in deeper to like a specific part that we, that really resonates with us. Some of the things that that stood out for me in the book are when she mentions how sometimes the children are so young that she has to kind of 
reformat the questions to make it easier for the children to answer. And she, she gave an example about these two little sisters. And whenever she would ask them certain questions, they would be like, oh, but what's that? And, and they were so young that they don't understand like how important it is to answer those questions as best as possible. But then, like she said, she, there's only so much that she can do and she can't write what she's not told by these children. So she has to do so much in order to get certain information out of them that will help their case. And it just broke my heart because I was thinking like, no child should have to go through that. None. Like there is no reason for that. Like children at like five or six, seven years old should be just worried about what game they're going to play next not about answering like a, a, a 40 questionnaire. So it's just when Valeria was mentioning those two little sisters, that's when the moment, I don't know, I got so emotional and I just felt like crying, but I was on the train, mm-hmm. but just kind of like closed the book for a little while mm-hmm. and took a breather before I continue reading. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what as you're saying this and like I read that part as well I always think about like me growing up in the suburbs um there was so much emphasis growing up in the suburbs and growing up religious it's just like so much emphasis about like we have to do what we can to protect the children from society and like a lot of it is like let's you know protect the children from the amoral things like you know oh right yeah uh-huh. <laughs> And I'm like, that is honestly the least of your worries if two people who don't fit your standards or fit your, you know, vision of what marriage is Mm -hmm. are getting married. Like, that's not going to, that's not a detriment to children's child development. What is a detriment to child development is experiencing trauma to the point where you will not eat for several days cross a desert and then turn yourself into an authority not knowing the language and not knowing how to sign anything and you're what 12 yeah how are you protecting the children exactly that's no child should ever go no no human being should be going through something Mm -mm. like that hearing um or like reading that and you know when Valeria starts off the book and she talks about she put in, she and her husband put in like their applications for their green card. And, you know, in times of when it's like dark like this, sometimes you have to have a little bit of a sense of humor. And she oh, talks right. about joking around with her husband. It's like, oh, what are we? Are we like undocumented Mexicans are we undocumented aliens are we Mexican aliens Mm -hmm. I feel like have this little joke between them and as the book progresses the joke gets darker and darker and less of a joke and that's when you're like wow this is 
this, this is not humanity or like yeah. this, is not, this is devoid of humanity or devoid of empathy, devoid of like the core values that we have here as in the United States, you know, the right to happiness, the pursuit of happiness, that this whole process is so devoid of that because like I always say, I think our borders are arbitrary and these children just happen to have been born on the wrong side of the border. Mm-hmm. And then have to go through this at such a young age. I do also want to talk about, so this book was spurred by the 2014 um, immigration crisis or mm-hmm. refugee crisis, um, depends on who you're talking to, um, when it was just so many young children coming in from Central America by the busload. I remember watching um, a clip on MSNBC and it was like three or four buses of just young children coming into Arizona and it was like a group of much older white Americans shouting at these children to turn back shouting at the buses to turn back around um this happened in 2014 this is not this specific moment that I'm um explaining right now but the whole time period this tension period is what spurred Valeria to get into translating for young children and also in turn provided this book and another series of writing that she's done. Um, so there is context for this. And I, I remember very vividly seeing the reaction to the influx of children. And it was, a it was a lot. It was, it was, yeah. It because was I remember a it lot. Too all at once, which was probably a shock to the system. Um, The reaction though was so evil. I wouldn't, I'm not going to say it was bad. It was evil. It was just reprehensibly evil to say, we need to protect our borders from young children. children. Yeah. Like Like, what what are are they going to do to you? I think we both said the same thing at the same time. <laughs> we did. Yeah. That's my pause. It's so serious. It's like, what are these children going to do to you? Probably like they range from like probably like seven all the way to like 12 or 15. What can they possibly do to harm you? That that you're so opposed to letting them stay and you want to like shout at them and, and tell them to go back to their country. Of course they would go back to their country if the government had not fucked it up beforehand. And these are people who are like screaming and shouting at young children with children. Mm-hmm. And, and remember, she uh, Valeria mentioned this at the beginning of her book. She said, I wonder what goes through the, the heads of these people when when they sit out there and protest. It's like, do they schedule in like going to protest after church or after bingo? Exactly. Like, it's just like, so it's like the American way to protest. Like, you know, the whole country was founded in protest and a revolution, Mm -hmm. but y'all are on the wrong side of history protesting against children. What history books did they read? Right. Like, 
like she says, like, what is going through your mind that, you know, a nine-year-old and her 14-year-old sister are all they have is the clothing on their backs and all they want is to just have a roof over their heads. What is going through your mind when you're yelling and screaming at them in a language they do not understand? What is going through your mind? Yeah. It's disgusting. That is one of the, that is one of the things that I thought was so evil. Like, you know, we, in the book, you'll really find yourself hating the system and not really, um, not, I mean, people talk about like, oh, we miss Obama. And you and I have had this conversation mm-hmm. because we're children of immigrants and we've heard the whispers. Yes. Um, but, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't faultless. He wasn't a saint. He definitely is way more, and even Valeria says this, more ideal than our current administration. Right. Mm-hmm. However, we can't, we like got to call out, call a spade a spade. You know, yes. this the Obama or, um, administration kicked up um, deportations. Yes. Um, and one of the things in the book, one of the things in the book was the docket that the administration imposed. And even Valeria, very new to the system, was like, oh, I don't understand why they needed to, you know, expedite the juvenile docket like what does that mean and then as she's going through the questionnaire and like she sees that they're like rushing these children she's like oh it's because they want to give them only 21 days to like plead their case instead of a couple of months where they can find a lawyer and like if they can't plead it in time then they can send them back like speedily so even she was like, wait, that is really effed up. Yeah. And everything is working against them because they're here in a country where either they don't have, you know, close relatives and they don't know the language. They don't know anyone. And here they are facing this, like, they're working against the clock because how are they supposed to find a lawyer? How are they mm-hmm. supposed to afford a lawyer? Mm-hmm. So these are like just roadblocks that you're putting against them because you know that they won't be able to do anything in such a short amount of time. They are working against death, like yeah. like certain death of their bodies, but then they're working against like the death of their soul with this whole system. Like, can you imagine like, Karen, I go to the DMV and I'm like, this is going to be the death of me. I'll text you and be like, I'm at the DMV for three hours. And I'm like, I can't do this. Like, this is too much. This is too bureaucratic. I can't do this. Like, I have to wait for three hours in a government building. Like, this is too much for me. Can you imagine? Like, that is nothing. Like, I talk about, like, talk about first world problems. Like, oh, the DMV. Like, that's nothing. Like, can you imagine, like, being 12 and, like, having to go through such, like, soul-crushing processes? And, like, it's a whirlwind, too, because they expedite it and they don't want to give you time. So you, like, have to, like, you're spinning. Your mind is spinning. You're you're also, like, going through things personally. Like, at 12, like... At 12, you're in a new country. You just left your family behind who you don't know when you're going to see again, it's such a, a drastic change. You just had the, went through the experience of crossing so many borders. You're probably tired. You're hungry. You're homesick. Mm-hmm. So how do you expect a child of that age to go through all of this 
because it, it takes a big toll on them emotionally. And how, how do you just expect them to find a lawyer from like one day to another? Exactly. And there's not like a large marketplace for immigration no. lawyers uh-uh. that doesn't pay well. <laughs> um, it's not something that a lot of people go into like, I want to be an immigration lawyer. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that they have to find a needle in a haystack. Yeah. Essentially. To find resources here in the United States, you need resources. They yes. have nothing. Nothing. Uh, yeah. Clearly, so this book, <laughs> um, we're talking about the toll it has on the children. It definitely took a toll on us. Um, I, I can just only imagine the toll it takes on Valeria every yes. single day because life that she leads you know what that's what I was thinking too because when I finished reading the book it really made me wonder like I read this book and I felt you know there was moments where I cried there was moments where I was angry angry not only at the American government but also the Mexican government who is not doing enough to protect these people as well they're not doing enough to protect these children they're not doing enough to protect their own people as well and so it's, it's such a mix of emotions that I can't imagine what Valeria goes through every single day. And I think like I would be so emotionally devastated knowing that there's only so much that I can do for these children. And Precisely. I'm pretty sure she would like to help all of them and she would like all of them to, to stay in this country and just have like a a happy solution to, to their case. And even she mentioned this where her daughter is always asking her about like, Oh, so how does this story end? But there are times that the ending that it's so sad, I guess that she doesn't want to share it with her daughter. So sometimes she won't, tell her like all the details about it and so I wonder like how do you yeah how do you just deal with all of that on a day-to-day basis and I really applaud her because it's such a great thing that she is doing and I think that it takes a lot of strength to to do that because I think that if I was in her situation I would just like cry during that questionnaire i think yeah i think she it takes a very special person to kind of go through that on a regular basis um i (laughs) as you were saying you know i'm sure she wants to help everyone that's Mm -hmm. literally me um and that i would if the wall is built i would tear it with my own hands Mm -hmm. Um, I'm definitely that person who you know I just like all or nothing Um, but you know you also have to realize you are only one person in a system like this is a system like it's not you're not combating another person or a group of people you're combating a system set in place um, to oppress and to hurt and to break you down um, and I commend her for doing that regularly. I also really want to, while we're on this topic of like how she does it or like what she does or her motivating factor, 
I really like what she writes um, about why she continues to do what she does. Oh, okay. And I'm going to read it. Mm-hmm. So she goes, numbers and maps tell horror stories, but the stories of deepest horror are perhaps those for which there are no numbers, no maps, no possible accountability, no words ever written or spoken. And perhaps the only way to grant any justice where that even is possible is by hearing and recording those stories over and over again so that they come back always to haunt and shame us because being aware of what is happening in our era and choosing to do nothing about it has become unacceptable. We cannot allow ourselves to go on normalizing horror and violence because we all should be held accountable if something happens under our noses and we don't even dare to look. (gasps) Yikes. Powerful words. This if I could, would tattoo on my face. It would. Um, it, those are very powerful words that make you reflect. Yes. And this that make you think. When, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say that they make you think like, okay, maybe I am not helping, you know, translate for these kids. But what else can I do to help? No matter how small it is, something that you can do. Mm-hmm. absolutely so I know I say I really want to tattoo this on my face and just like always like wear it as a reminder but I do have a little sentiment that I have as a reminder and um it's similar to what she writes about stories and it's from a book the things they carried and it says for this too is true stories can save us and I think For me, this hit me so hard because as a writer, you're not just like writing words to make things sound pretty, at least in my book. And by book, I mean in my head. (laughs) (laughs) In my head, that's not how it goes for me at all. How it goes for me is, you know, you tell stories and stories last. Like I can write and have something be published and that's going to surpass my lifetime it's going to surpass my children's lifetime and if it's you know if it resonates and it's evoking um evocative it will stand the test of time and it will live outside of those pages and I think her motivation even though she can't physically like grab every little child's hand and like place them in places where they'll be safe mm-hmm. is to tell their stories. And she says to know what's going on and for me not to say anything, not to turn this into, you know, have like have a call of action that is, that is working and being complicit in the evil that is going on overall surrounding this. And I'm like, wow. That's, yes. At that moment, and this is, I know this page exactly, it's page 30. At that oh. moment, 30 pages in, I had to set the book down. <gasps> I was like, wow. Oh, you know, now that we're speaking of like, you know, pages where we had to put the book down, I do want to share something that we had mentioned earlier, but that it's something that made me really 
just uh, reflect. And it's on page 12. And she says, she talks about like, you know, the reasons why kids decide to leave their country. And, you know, that's like one of the questions where it says, why did you come to the U.S.? And um, towards the bottom, it says, it is not even the American dream that they pursue, but rather the more modest aspiration to wake up from the nightmare into which they were born. Remarkable. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, like, like we had mentioned earlier, these kids just want to survive. And it's so heartbreaking to know that there are other people here that take it for granted. Take it for granted. And same people who take it for granted are the same people who are like, we can't let people in because they're going to steal their jobs. They're going to, um, you know, Valeria talks about how vaccinated these children have to be because there's just a fear that they're going to bring diseases. Um, They're just going to like not, you know, they're bad for our children. We need to protect the borders to protect our children and protect our way of life. And like, how is this your way of life when you can't even open up your hearts and homes well I'm not saying open up your physical home you don't right. have to <laughs> um but the home we call the United States how can you not see that you know there's like more than enough room it's not like it's gonna run out just no. because they allow these children to to live here well I just like had to take a breath and to sit in this um and that for our listeners who are going to read this because I really strongly implore you to read this. I do, yes. These are like the emotions, like what you're hearing us say, even though we've read this, and I think Karen's read this, you know, a couple times over now. Um, Even though we've read this and we've experienced this, <clears throat> we're talking about this out loud and still the emotions are raw. Like this is a very raw... It is, raw yeah. Um, ...episode and like you're going to feel this. And I implore you to read it and not be afraid that you're going to feel this as well. Like, no. I know there are people who are like, I don't want to get into my feelings. I hate my feelings. Blah, blah, blah. Feelings are terrible. No, no, no. This is not like a Drake song and you're getting over a breakup. No, this is tapping yes. into humanity. And yes, like, humanity. Exactly. And, you know, just like seeing what you, like what part do you play in helping um I know that after the reading when Valeria did do a reading and after the interview she talked about several organizations that have been helping these children um which we could probably link at the end of this or in this episode description (laughs) at the end of this episode I'm so silly (laughs) 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 on air um but yeah this is don't be afraid, even though I'm saying, oh, you know, you're going to get emotional. You're going to put the book down. You're going to cry. Karen just cried on the train. Like, mm-hmm. don't be afraid of those. These no. are the emotions we need to fuel to, us. Yeah, to fuel us, to make a change. And to just keep fighting. To just, yes. I think that's a great way to just end kind of like our thoughts on the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you have anything else to add? I really thought what I had to say about page 30, like, just took so much out of me. Like, that was, like, 
I read this book two weeks ago and every day I think about it. Yeah, I think just in general, going back to the book and reading like certain parts of it right now as we record, it, it brings back all of those emotions. So it's kind of hard to get them all out. Mm-hmm. in a coherent way at least that's how it is for me mm-hmm. yeah that they should just go ahead and read it and experience it for themselves yeah that perfect word it it's an experience it's not just a read it's an experience and um I also encourage anyone who is like listening to this and it feels compelled to buy the book um, and reads it, just please, please, please do what you can to like reach out to us, even if it's a tweet, an email, um, slide into those Instagram DMs and like let us know what you think, what your own takes are on this book. Like we we feel so strongly and passionate about the whole immigration fight in general. Um we would love to hear people who are, you know Yeah. I think who, like if you if you choose to read the book like Dom said, tweet us or maybe write us like a short paragraph via email to let us know what your thoughts are and what stood out the most from this book. Anyone who cares to share, um, if you do share something, an anecdote that is uh, similar to anything that happened in the book, we, of course, are going to, you know, change identities um, for safety purposes. But yeah, if you feel so free to share you know your own story crossing um if you were if you did it younger because that's what a lot of you know people who are now who are now fighting to stay in the united states did cross when they were much younger um we absolutely welcome that as well yeah that would be something to share i probably were gonna end up crying but yeah that's just us. That's something that you have to they're learn. Gonna, yeah, they're going to get... Our, our listeners are used to this. Yeah. I think this is a highlight that I want to share. Mm-hmm. This, this particular highlight, they are not from the Bronx, as far as I know. No one from this movie is from the Bronx. But it's the movie that I think I added to the Instagram story a couple of weekends ago. And it's the movie called A Better Life. Mm-hmm. I think I had mentioned it to you, Dom. No, you have not. But I did see the story. Oh, right. Okay. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this actor, but kind of like the, the main character in the movie, his name is Damian Bichit. No, I'm not. Okay. Um, well, kind of like the gist of the movie is that he plays a Mexican illegal immigrant who lives in L.A. And not only does he have trouble connecting with his son, but he is also kind of like trying to find a way to provide a better life for him. And on this journey that, you know, in order to find like a better job, so many things happen along the way. And there are certain parts of the movie that just make me break down into tears. Mm -hmm. And one of the specific parts that I want to highlight is 
where they go to the area where a lot of jornaleros are at, but they're just waiting there for, you know, a car to come by and say, like, I need three painters or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go work for that person just for the day. And then every single day they have to go back and stand around that same area to see if they can get like another job for the day, basically. Mm-hmm. And so the main character, Carlos, goes there with his son and his son makes a comment that I think that he was so unaware of the situation that he made a comment and say, why are they standing there like little bitches? Or he said bitches or hoes, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then his dad was like, don't talk to don't talk about them like that, because I was once like them. And I'll be back like that if we don't solve this situation. And that remark, if that kid was my son, I would have just slapped him right there and said, like, no, wake up. What do you think that we're like millionaires or something like that? Like he knew what his dad was doing for a living, yet he had the nerve to make that comment. Yeah. So this is um, a highlight of your parenting skills? (laughs) (laughs) For real. I think that's why I won't have kids. (laughs) But this movie just... It's so touching. Trust me, you're going to cry if you watch it, Dom. I cried. If anyone hasn't watched it, make sure that you do. Awesome. Yeah. I do not have a highlight for today. All right. So I think this kind of ends our summary of the book and just overall our thoughts on it. Yeah, we're not done yet. We're going to send someone to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't have, you know, so, something uplifting, but I do have something. So it's a little bit of both. Um, and Karen actually had to correct me on this because I was just so focused in on my anger about this one tweet by, you know, Twitterer in chief. <laughs> I saw this. This was posted seven hours ago at the time we were recording. This is Monday, um, March 5th. And if anyone recalls March 5th was the arbitrary deadline set for end of DACA as a whole. Uh Um, So what was tweeted by who shall not be named? Um, It's March 5th and the Democrats are nowhere to be found on DACA. Give them six months. They just don't care. Where are they? We're ready to make a deal. Um, (laughs) So irritating. So irritating. Um, And I'm, when I saw this, I was very infuriated and I was filled with a lot of anxiety um, for DACA recipients and just like a lot of sadness because I'm like, oh my God, yes, like what's going on on this? Thankfully, Karen, in the one instance where Karen is way more informed than I am, <laughs> calmed me down. We're still sending this person to hell. Right. Uh, but you did calm me down. Uh, the courts locked the DACA decision so yes yes they are ending it so I mean no they're not ending DACA Mm -hmm. (laughs) the administration blocked um Trump's decision to end DACA so for anyone that currently has DACA you are able to renew like you have done in the past the only thing and you know, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe no new applications are being taken. 
That is the only thing that has changed. But yes, I could see why his stupid tweet was misleading. And, you know, just with everything going on, it's easy to get like fired up and (laughs) think the worst, honestly. Yeah. And that was me. You know, I, I hate I hate calling out stereotypes, but sometimes the fiery Latina comes out of me, and I'm just like, that was me. That was it. <laughs> that was it. So then my other fiery Latina counterpart actually had to calm me down, and that might be a highlight, but definitely most of all is like, go to hell. Yeah, because he's trying to play. The tweet makes it sound like, oh, I was willing to help them, but, you know, you guys were not doing your part. And it's like, no, you weren't. What are you trying to come out as, like, a hero out of all of this? No, sir. We won't be having it. Nope. Now we can end. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Dom. (laughs) So that concludes our episode. And... Everything that we mentioned in this episode, we're going to link it in the show notes. So make sure to check it out. Anything else you want to add, Dom? Nope. Okay, then, as usual, please remember to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to rate us if you enjoy the show. That's super, super, super important, please, in order to make us more visible. Bye, guys. Take care, everyone. Bye.